Hey, I'm Steve Holt, the senior pastor of The Road at Chapel Hills. This is The Road Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My heart is to empower you to change the world. I hope this message impacts you. Here now is our guest speaker. Well, guys, the title of my message this morning is Never Enough. And cue the song from The Greatest Showman, right? (laughs) And the great line from that song, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Has Hollywood ever spoken truer words? (laughs) And yet they keep pursuing it. And yet we keep pursuing it. Temporary satisfaction, momentary fulfillment, fleeting pleasures. The Amazon package is at the door. Ah, that feels good. Well, time to order another. (laughs) The big bonus check hit the bank account. Man, that feels good. Well, time to earn another. (laughs) Right? Here's one. Record number of likes on Instagram. That feels good. (laughs) Am I wrong? Anybody here honest enough to admit it? (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that it's all bad. I believe that the Lord loves to bless his children, and I think that he loves to see delight in our eyes, just like we do our own children. But what I'm talking about is when we rely upon that stuff for our sense of purpose, our meaning, our fulfillment, even, might I say, our salvation, rather than relying on our walk with the Lord. My thesis for today is that stuff will never be enough to satisfy your desires. And, this is the harder one, your performance will never be enough to satisfy the Lord's requirements. A good concluding statement for today's message would be, only Christ is enough. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." Let's go back to the top of that verse. Let's look at the first five words. It says, and you, he made alive. He, it is he who makes you alive. No item, feeling, friend, or momentary fulfillment can bring you from death to life. Only he can do that. Would you lift your voices with me right now and say, only he can do that. Come on. Only he can do that. Only he can bring you from death to life to life. It's like we got to speak it into our spirit, get it past our flesh and past our mind so that we actually really believe it and live it. He made you alive. He is the way to life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. And I think that we first look at that, that scripture and in our flesh, we think, ah, Finally, he's come to give me more stuff so I can live. But I think what he's actually saying is, I am life. I am here. You may have me. And in so doing, you may have 
abundant life. Only he can bring you to life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anytime we look to anything less than the Lord to bring us life, we automatically set ourselves up for disappointment. Only the Lord can create life. Nobody and nothing else can. And then this, the verse says, he made you alive. How did he make you alive? Well, with the greatest irony in the world, the greatest irony in human history, the the perfect, blameless creator of the universe sent his perfect and blameless son to die for us. And may we never for a moment undervalue or downplay the single greatest act of love in all of humanity. As scripture puts it, may we never treat what is holy as common and unholy. How many of us can't even stomach the idea of sending our child to die for somebody else, much less somebody who doesn't even like you or appreciate it? And yet the Lord did that when we least deserved it. Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in trespasses, Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, now most people would not be willing to die for someone who is good, although maybe someone would die for another who is especially good. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. Now I read that verse and I think, wait a second, still sinners? I wasn't even born yet. (laughs) That happened 2,000 years before I was born, so I wasn't still a sinner. I wasn't even born yet to sin against him. So what's that mean? That means that Christ knew that I would be born 2,000 years later and that I would sin against him, and yet he still chose to die for me. Furthermore, follow me here, it means that he knew that I would know that he died for me and still sin against him. And yet he still chose to die for me. Is there anybody else who loves you that perfectly? Anybody else who knows your future sins and still chooses to die for you? Is there anybody like our Jesus? (laughs) And how many times do we reach for something less to satisfy? All the while knowing there is a Savior who values us so highly, who loves us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us, willing to walk with us and bring us true fullness of joy. You know, the people that I look up to most, the the first thing I notice in them is always, and the first, first thing I tend to say about them is, man, that guy must really walk with the Lord. Anybody know those type of people? You're like, I just want to be like that guy. I just want to be like that person who's just, just not easily frazzled, just walks with the Lord and knows God is good. God's on the throne. He's got this. He rules the world with his feet up. He's not stressed. Just walking with the Lord. I want to be like that guy. See, he made you alive by dying for you in your worst moments. He died especially for the times when you reach for the stuff that wants to kill you. The sin, the temptation, the anger, the lust, the envy. You know your list. He took all of that to the grave with him. And when he emerged three days later, the only thing that came with him was the spirit of the living God. And Romans 8.13 says, If by the spirit you put to death 
the deeds of the flesh, you will what? Live. You will live. Is there anybody who wants to truly live here today? Mm. Amen. This leads us to the final word in our verse here, alive. He made you alive. I have two daughters aged six and four, and so, of course, I've got all the Disney movies memorized right now. And uh, if you look closely at those Disney movies, the theme is pretty much always the same. Someone's trying to find themselves. Someone's trying to find the purpose of life. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do? What's my value? What's my meaning? Is there anybody here who wants to truly live, who's tired of trying to find the purpose of the value of life, the meaning? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm 16 11, David says, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. Mm. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In him, there is true joy, true pleasures forevermore in the path to true life. Anyone who is in Christ will never die. If that's not abundant life, I don't know what is. Abundant life is not more stuff. It's not more money. It's not more accomplishments. Abundant life is an abundance of Christ, an abundant, fruitful walk, relationship with the Lord. That's abundant life. The verse says he made you alive. Well, if he made you alive, that means that you must have once been dead. Like, hey, how's your day going? Well, I was dead. (laughs) Now I'm alive, so pretty good, I'd say. I had a pastor in Chicago, he's a, he was an old timer, he's actually since passed, but um, every time you'd ask him, hey, HB, how you doing? He'd always reply, it's a great day to be alive, great day to be alive. And he's right. Another way to say it is, it's a great day to not be dead anymore. <laughs> right? He made you alive who were dead. The verse says, dead in trespasses and sins. And I naturally look at that verse and I think, well, that obviously doesn't mean me with my little private sins. That means the guys who struggle with, you know, robbing banks and killing people. I don't struggle with that anymore. (laughs) No, it means all sin. Verse 3 says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, it's not just the bank robbers and the murderers. All sin. You see, when we walk according to the flesh, we're walking in death. We're literally, like the title of the old show, we're the walking dead. And I think God is saying, man, I've, I've got so much more for you. I made you alive. Walk in that. I think of the quote from the movie Speed. You guys remember that movie with Keanu Reeves? With the bomb on the bus and silly. But... They come to this point where he's getting ready to get on this little, like, dolly and go under the bus while it's doing 70 miles an hour down the highway, and he's got to defuse a bomb. And it's funny, the stuff we'll let ourselves believe. But um, the guy that's with him, right when he's getting ready to go on this little thing and go under the bus, best line ever, he goes, all right, Jack, this is it. Don't get dead. (laughs) It's like, that's terrible English. But... That's what's going to make it stick in your head this week, right? When you reach for something less than the Lord, just say to yourselves, wait a second, don't get dead. You were already dead once. He made you alive. Stay alive. Don't get dead. Walk in the Spirit. 
Don't settle for temporary satisfaction, momentary fulfillment. It'll never be enough. It lasts only a moment. It's temporary. Scripture says he has written eternity on your heart. That's an eternal void that you feel. Temporary stuff ain't going to do it. Again, the first part of my thesis, stuff will never be enough to satisfy your desires. Only Christ is enough. And then the second part, this one's even harder. Your performance will never be enough to satisfy the Lord's requirements. I know a lot of people hear that and cringe. And that's because we've been told all our lives how special we are that we can tie our own shoes. (laughs) And don't worry, we've got participation awards at the back. (laughs) You can email your rebuttals to me at DiGiacomo at YouCan'tSpellDiGiacomo.com. See, I think we have an innate desire to feel accomplished and to impress, right? And to be proud of something. And that's not all bad. Scripture says if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. So obviously boasting is in us. But as we've already talked about, first we want to satisfy our fleshly desires. We want to boast in our own stuff and what we've accomplished. And we want to impress ourselves and we want to impress others. But we walk that path long enough and we realize, wait a second, this is pretty empty. Right? We realize, wait a second, fulfillment is in the Lord. But here's the problem. Even when we've had that epiphany, the enemy doesn't just say, all right, I give up. I'm not going to keep tricking them anymore. No, then the enemy turns it to us trying to impress who? The Lord. Right? And then we end up in hyper-religiosity. And maybe if I just go to church enough times and I don't skip church and I do enough Bible studies and I do enough good stuff, then maybe the Lord will be impressed with me. Then maybe he'll give me his approval. Maybe he'll bless me. Maybe he'll let me in. Anybody been there? Mm, Most of my life. It's where hyper-religiosity comes from. But you see, we have scripture. So we see Saul, who was Paul. We see the Pharisees. We see the Sadducees. And we realize, okay, obviously it's not in that religiosity stuff. It's not in funny outfits and and piety. So we end up in the modern day version of religiosity, which is again, just playing the Christianity game. Like I just won't, I won't skip church that many times. (laughs) Then maybe God will be satisfied with me. Or if I put on a phony front of humility by constantly talking myself down, refusing to receive compliments, working my hands to the bone for little to no pay, letting people roll over me, then maybe the Lord will be impressed with me. Hypothetically speaking, of course. No, see, if that sounds specific enough to be from experience, it's because it is. And I think many of you can relate. See, I think most of us can relate with trying to impress God and and satisfy a requirement that God has neither equipped nor called us to satisfy. Let me quickly tell you a little bit about how God led me to this sermon. It started back when I was a kid, maybe five or six years old. Um, I'm one of ten kids, and yes, we were Catholic. Get get that out of the way. (laughs) I'm not sure that had anything to do with it. Now being an adult, I know that Catholic isn't what causes kids. It's something else. <laughs> Anyways, growing up in a family that size, I quickly realized, like, man, there's not a whole lot of extra time, money, or attention to go around. So 
I decided as this little five or six-year-old, I don't want to be a burden. I want to be a help. And so I'm just going to stay out of the way. And I'm going to need nothing from anybody. And I'm, and I'm going to be hyper-independent. Now, I say that, but I was five. I was probably still wet in the bed by then, but let's be real. But I determined not to need anything from anyone. And what that meant was that if I was going to be successful at my little five-year-old mission, that I was going to have to hold myself to incredibly high standards. I mean, I'm talking like if I made an error in t-ball, you couldn't talk to me for three days. I was so mad at myself. <laughs> and so I started to think, well, well, if I have such high standards for myself and God, who is perfect, he must have even higher standards for me. And so I, I basically ended up making God into like this angry egomaniac who was just waiting for me to screw up. Now, I have to say, none of this was my parents' fault. When you're one of 10 kids, if you make it to the end of the day, everybody's still alive and knows which one they are. <laughs> That's a pretty successful day. <laughs> one nice thing about being in a family that size was that if uh, you got in trouble and mom went to yell at you, well, she couldn't remember which one you were, so... By the time she made it down the list to your name, I was like halfway down the block. I never got spanked. I was far enough down the list. Seriously, though, my idea of God's standard as a kid sounded like try harder, work harder, accomplish more. That's not good enough. You need to do it better. You need to do more. When are you ever going to get it right? And so I basically made God into a big jerk who only gave grace, love, or mercy to those who had earned it. Sad, right? The enemy knows how to get us, especially as kids. That's why this stuff is so critical for parents of small kids. Let's look back at our verse here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but God... I heard a pastor one time who said he's going to do a sermon series called The Greatest Butts in the Bible. <laughs> It'll be the best attended men's study ever in church history. Verse says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Mercy has been defined as God not giving us what we do deserve. Scripture says we were all deserving of what? Death. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve, amen? And yet, how ironic that we get caught up trying to earn from God. Trust me, you don't want the only thing you can earn from God in God's economy. Receive his mercy. Let down your guard. Let down your unrelenting standards for yourself. God's not impressed. You've tried it long enough, haven't you? You've shown yourself that it's not working. Receive his mercy. Then the verse goes on. It says, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. So not only could we not earn it, but we were in fact dead. How valuable is a dead guy? How much can a dead guy earn? Nothing. Nothing a dead guy can do is vote, apparently. <laughs> Sad. Sad that that's even a joke that can be told. <laughs> it's true. 
See, our verse continues. It says, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, the Lord isn't waiting for you to work your way into becoming some barely approved pathetic subject in his kingdom. No, quite the opposite. doesn't matter how hard you try, it won't work. Instead, but God took care of it for you and in fact promoted you far beyond what you could ever earn in your own way. Promoted you, what scriptures say, to the heavenly places in Christ, to be seated with the king. Oh, that we would cease useless striving, trying to earn from the Lord. Instead, enjoy your seat with the Lord in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God. Are you Martha or are you Mary? (laughs) Are you striving to earn his approval? Or are you sitting with the king, enjoying your place with him? Hmm. Our verse goes on. It says that in the ages to come, he might show what? The exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Hopefully your view of the Lord is starting to shift to see that he's, he's not only not stingy, but is instead infinitely generous toward his children. And finally we find ourselves in the most liberating verse in the Bible. Scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved. There, Through faith there are three gifts in that one line there. Do you see them? Grace, salvation, and faith. None can be earned. All are free. All are required. I love the acronym for the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all of God's riches because of the price that Christ paid for us. We didn't earn it. We are incapable of earning it because the standard is perfection. The only thing that could pay the price for our sins was the blood of the one who never sinned. And there's only ever been one. The only one who could ever earn us God's approval was Christ. No amount of Bible studies, good deeds, self-sacrifice, high work ethic, whatever else is on your list, could ever earn an ounce of God's approval. We love to try and earn it, don't we? (laughs) I have to tell you, a few weeks ago, I found myself in a place where I was, I was wrestling with God um, day and night because he was trying to bless me, and I didn't want the blessing his way. <laughs> I wanted to earn it myself. And I want to be able to say that my hard work has provided for my family. I don't want to receive the blessing and the generosity of others. Such pride and arrogance, right? <laughs> And thankfully, a great friend and a mentor of mine kept saying, dude, receive the blessing. Quit trying to get it your own way just so that you can beat your chest and say, look what I did. He said, God has a different mission for your life than just conquering the American dream. 
You see, God knew this was a hurdle that I had to cross after having spent 30 years trying to prove myself, trying to earn my way, trying to be enough, trying to need nobody. You see, the enemy had been whispering in my ear my whole life, you'll never be enough. You'll never be enough. Work harder. Maybe you can earn it. Not enough. Do better. Sad part is I actually thought that was God saying that the whole time. But what the enemy intends for evil, the Lord turns for good. And the Lord one day a couple weeks ago, in the most loving and liberating way, said to me, Kyle, you'll never be enough. That's why I sent my son. He said, I didn't call you to be enough. I called you to be loved. Ladies and gentlemen, you weren't called to be enough. You were called to be loved. And I wonder how many here today need to be liberated and realize I don't need to be enough. You weren't called to perform or live up to or accomplish. Your works are as rags in comparison to what Christ has done for you in the way that he has made for you. You weren't called to be enough. You were called to be loved. And in that place of being loved and knowing him and and walking with him and being known by him, he'll do the work in you. He'll do the good work that your heart desires. We're going to finish up with our verse here, verse 8. Let's look there. It says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the problem is that even if we could accomplish it on our own, we would immediately resort to sinful boasting and then have to start all over, (laughs) right? But instead, God wants to walk with us and cause the good works to well up out of our relationship with him, out of our walk with him. Our verse concludes, it says, for we are his workmanship. We're meant to show his glory, not ours. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, if you realize what we've done here, we finally put right order to cause and effect. See, for the longest time, we thought that the cause was our good works and the effect was God's love, God's approval. God's permission. What we've just seen here in Scripture is that, in fact, God's love is the cause. How much He loved us and loves us. His love is the cause. The works are the effect. We've got to keep that straight. And the key factor here is walking. That's all you have to do, just walk. Just walk with the Lord. We don't need a list. We don't need a checkbox. <laughs> we need a relationship with the Lord. We need time with the Lord. That's it. Before we finish, just one final story, and then we'll worship. I had a dream when I was a kid, and it's a dream that I think the Lord is forever used to keep me walking with him. In this dream, he came, Jesus very clearly came to me and said, Kyle, I can heal anybody you want. And the rest of the dream was literally just 
Christ and myself just walking around encountering people who are sick. So simple. And I, we would just encounter somebody who was sick and I would say, Jesus, can you heal them? He'd say, yeah. And he'd heal them right there on the spot. That was it. That was the full complexity of that, of that dream. And I believe that is the full complexity of our walk with the Lord. We just walk. We just walk with him. And we rely on him. And we, we rely on our relationship with him. He does the good work in and through us. But it's the effect that causes his love, that causes us walking with him, knowing him. Hey, thanks for listening to The Road Podcast. It's been my joy to be a part of your life today. And you know, that's part of what we do here at The Road, and this is what I do in having this Road Podcast, is to empower people to change their world. My passion and desire is that you would take God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit and make that relevant for your life. You know, the reality is that God has placed your life here on this earth to make a difference. And if you'd like more information about how to grow in Christ, if you need prayer, if you want more equipping in different areas of your life, go to theroad.org. God bless you.